everyone. Welcome to a new quarter and a new episode of Word on the Street. Uh, as you may or may not know, my name is Anissa Crow. I am a student inclusion educator from uh, the Rainbow Resource Center. And uh, you're on and off again host. Sometimes I'm here, sometimes I'm not. But I would like to share with you a little episode that we're going to be doing about uh, mixed race heritage. So I myself am actually mixed. I am Portuguese, Mexican, and Irish. Um, and we're just going to have a little conversation about our identities and how we have come to understand how we are as mixed individuals and multicultural or however we choose to use those words um, and give you a little bit of knowledge about what we know from our own perspective and also hope to gauge uh, some future talk in, in general and see more um, multiracial people on this podcast or just speaking out more uh, in across Santa Clara University campus or wherever uh, spaces make make ourselves known. So now I'm going to hand it off to uh, one of our lovely guests to introduce themselves and give a little spiel. Up to y'all. Right. Hey Grace, like, so where are you from? <sighs> Thank you for asking me <laughs> that, Hannah. I am from Virginia. That's where I was born. Born and raised on the East Coast um, between Virginia and North Carolina before I moved to Texas. And like Anissa, I'm also a student inclusion educator, but in the Office for Multicultural Learning. Um, my name is Grace, as Hannah said. My pronouns are she, her, um, and I identify as biracial Black. What about you, Hannah? Yeah, so I like how you answered that because everybody, like, people ask me where I'm from when they don't, when they want to know, like, my ethnicity. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, um, but I'm Hannah. I'm also mixed. I am part Kanaka Maoli, which is Native Hawaiian, um, and white. Lots of different kinds of white. Um, but I'm also a student inclusion educator, also at the Office for Multicultural Learning. So do you guys, like, have a way you like to be asked, like, where you're from or what are you? Oh, I don't, like, what are you? <laughs> right off the bat, that is problematic, let me state that. Um, growing up, I was always asked, where are you from? Um, typically in the context of school, I have almost always gone to school where one of my parents taught. It was the way that my parents were able to afford um, private school educations for my sister and I was because they worked there. Um, and so my mother was usually the one for my early kind of formative years. She taught in Montessori school and that's where I went to school. And so she would pick me up typically after school once she ended her day. And when she did, my peers would look at me and look at her. My mother's white and my dad is black. And they would think like, that doesn't, that doesn't add up. Like they don't look alike. And as I've gotten older, I, in certain photos, some of my features resemble my mother's, but I definitely look more like my dad. And um, that's where I got that question over and over in school. Just where are you from? Like, you're not from your mom because y'all don't look alike. And it's like, actually I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, people, people thought I was adopted. Um, people ask my mom all the time or would come up to her like in grocery stores and just say like, oh, like 
good of you to adopt or what like just unsolicited opinions and i'm like <laughs> i'm not adopted great if you are but <laughs> or people would give unsolicited opinions to my mother all the time about how to care for like a black child how to do their hair whatnot and my mom's like i'm i'm learning and like again she was appreciative to an extent but like these are strangers coming up to her and strangers coming up to me asking me all these questions my peers um so I don't, I don't know if I have a way that I like to be asked that question, but I know that what are you is like, mm -mm, that does not feel good to me. I think I would prefer um, maybe where are your ancestors from, because I think a lot about my ancestors kind of on a daily basis. Um, and that feels more gentle and more academically curious, if that makes sense. Not just, oh, I'm a human and I'm curious, I'm going to be blunt and kind of, you know, ask you where you're from, but like, where your ancestors from is a bit deeper and more meaningful to me. So I like that way, but what about y'all? Yeah, um, I, I'm used to the question of what are you or what do you mix with? Like those are sort of questions that I got asked a lot. I think, so like I said at the beginning, I'm Mexican and Portuguese. Later found out I was Irish. It was kind of like that ancestry DNA, but it's like a big portion of me now so I'm like trying to like learn and do all that sort of stuff but um yeah no just the question of because also I am one of four children I am definitely the darkest of all my siblings and it was like widely known that one of us uh was a half sibling like uh one of the one of us didn't basically didn't come out of my mom and it was naturally assumed that I was that one because I didn't I didn't look like my mom or I at first glance I don't look like my mom. I think I actually have a lot more of my mom's characteristics, like in features. But people would naturally be like, oh, you look so much like Donnie, my dad, Mexican side. And uh, but also in that it was a lot of mixture of for some reason people being like uh like putting my parents up against each other and saying, uh, Anna, my mom, uh, is so beautiful, so gorgeous. How did Donnie land her? And just be like, basically, your dad's ugly, which is super messed up. But then in the same breath would be like, Anissa, you look just like your dad. I'd <laughs> be like, okay, hold on. I don't know how I feel about that right now. I'm kind of offended. But um, yeah, so it was a lot of uh, just asking, what are you? Are people playing a guessing game? Uh, especially when I went into university because I went uh, about three hours away from my hometown um, and people like would sit and sometimes it was fun like it was like a group of friends and sometimes it was just like okay I'm uncomfortable I don't really know you it feels kind of weird that you're having a guessing game like I think she's Puerto Rican I think she's uh, Middle Eastern like all these like random things would just like it become a guessing game and sometimes like I said sometimes it was like uh, not done to be harmful and it was never done to be harmful it was just like a that microaggressive tendency to look at someone who is mixed or multiracial and be like "Ooh, I wonder who I wonder if you have a white mom or a, a white dad I wonder who is like the, it was like sort of those characteristics I don't know if I'm making complete sense but yeah that so going back to the question I think the question that I would actually like to hear a little bit more is what's your background? Like, let me decide if I'm going to tell you I'm multiracial and stuff like that. But I don't know. Hannah, your thoughts? 
Yeah, no, I agree. I definitely had the like, where are you from? What are you kind of questions a lot. Um, and I think like it never, I always thought it was funny because it was more telling of like somebody else's ignorance, I guess, the way that they would ask the question. Um, but I don't know, I think generally just being straight up like, oh, like what's your ethnic like background, something like that is usually just like ask the question you're trying to ask, be straight up for it. Um, but like, I do like playing the guessing game. If I'm in a mood for it, I'll just be like, how about you guess? Like, what do you think I am? Um, especially with like being white, sometimes I'll be like, yes, but what kind of white? You can guess the top three or something like that, making it fun for myself. <laughs> um, but like Grace, you mentioned earlier about my mom is also the white parent in the family. Um, and like, I remember clearly when I first became aware that like, I had an ethnicity <laughs> because it looked different from my mother's. Um, like right now I'm very pale for how I usually look just because it's, we're coming out of winter. I haven't seen the sun, um, but like my, I always say like my winter pale is my mother's summer tan. Um, and I so like that memory was first grade, these like white girls at my school, like would send notes home with me about like, like these just, they were bullies, but they were saying that I wasn't related to my mom. They were like, they convinced me a hundred percent that I was adopted to the point where I went home and talked to my mom. And I was like, mom, like, are you my mom? Like, and had to have that conversation. She was like, 100%, I am your mother. You came out of me, all of that kind of stuff. But um, I never thought about it before. I think because just like my brothers are also mixed and like I knew they were my brothers. And so they never questioned where I came from because they lived that same experience. But it was all, it was generally like at school where I would feel different. Um, but I guess like what was the, when did you guys first recognize like your race or that you had one in general? I think for me also very similar um, at school. I, I don't think I conceptualized my race and my ethnicity until other people talked about it. Um, because you know, you're three, four, five years old, you're going about the world, you're not thinking about that unless someone articulates it to you and asks you the questions that we're talking about. I don't think I really understood what it meant to have a race or to be a racial other. I knew that I looked different from my peers, but I didn't know really what it meant. Um, and aside from school, I think the earliest and most salient memory I have of realizing my race was in dance class. I did a lot of different dances when I was younger. I, I took a class that was like all of them. It was like jazz, tap, ballet, etc. Um, very fun. But I think I was the only person of color in that class and I was maybe six years old. And it was one of those dance studios that there's a door, you walk in, one wall is a big mirror wall. And then on the other side, there's a little window, excuse me, and you can see parents and guardians and 
whoever else waiting for their kids and they'll like kind of stick their head in the window and like maybe wave. And I vividly remember being towards the end of dance classes and people would start to see typically their mothers in the window and they would all be like, oh, there's my mom, there's my mom, where's your mom? And um, I remember one time this girl telling me like, oh, Grace, your mom's not here yet. And I was like, she's right there. And this girl looked me in my eyes and said, that's not your mom. And I was like, what do you mean that's not my mom? That is 100% my mom. And she like kept it going. And we walked out together and I gave my mom a hug and I looked at her face and her face was just like, she was so confused. Bless her heart. I mean, she was also like six years old, but that is like, like I said, one of the most salient memories I have of realizing my race because I felt different because I looked very different than everyone else in my dance class, but it wasn't until someone told me, oh, like that's not, that white lady's not your mom, that I was like, oh, shoot, I really am different from you. And we, at this young age, are able to categorize those differences is very interesting to me. Yeah, um, kind of similar, but also it was, I feel like for me, it was very prominent that I was told from a very young age, hey, you're, you're different, you look different. So there's a lot of like colorism that runs very, very deep within my family. And so I would hear like these microaggressive like wording or just these uh, things said, like for some reason, my Portuguese head of the family really did not want to acknowledge that I was Mexican. Like they were just like, we're just, we're gonna like put that off to another side. So I remember my great grandma uh, one day we were talking about me being tanned. That was also another thing. It was always a conversation of what my skin looked like at the time, whether I was, like Hannah said earlier, my uh, my winter pale or my um, summer tan, like those sort of differences. But I remember my great grandma looking at me and, and being like, oh, sweetie, you're not um, you're not Mexican, you're island tan, because my family's from Thursday, the Azores off the coast of Portugal. And I like looked at her and I was like, I'm still Mexican. Like it, that doesn't change. Like, yes, that's also true, but like that doesn't affect. But then she would also go into like different conversations of purposely like pointing out that my sister was the pretty one. She would like grab my sister's face and be like, you're so beautiful. You're so pretty. You're so like your complexion, your everything. And then she'd like look over at me and be like, you're you have a nice personality you're so sweet Anissa <laughs> and it was just like okay and that also I think a lot of it contributed to one I look different I was uh darker than my siblings but two I was also the chubbiest of my siblings I've always been plus size and uh that also led into conversations with my mom uh, pointing out how different me and my sister's like body types look to hers because we carry a lot of our weight in our like stomach area and my mom it's like she's just perfect hourglass and it was just always that sort of like pointing out that oh you have Mexican features you look more like a Mexican woman like that it was just always very salient that it was a focus to focus on what I look like and what characteristics I had to the point where my uncle on my dad's side, uh, my Mexican side, 
was like got in an argument with my grandpa the day I was born because he saw me and was like, oh, uh, how dark is she? How dark is she? And to which my grandpa, for some reason, lied and was like, she's pink as she is can be. I was gone. Like, it, but it was such like a just nuance that my family really, really wanted me to look a certain way and hated that I looked a different way. But yeah, we can go into more stories of my family and like colorism and later maybe talking about it more and if y'all experience that. But yeah, that's just my little tidbit to like this portion, how I knew that I was different. Yeah, I think with the family stuff, like my white side of the family never directly made me feel different, but I would get those like comments, like, like my grandma would say, oh, you're just my exotic, like she, she, uh, we had the conversation like a couple summers ago, cause I was taking care of her. And she asked me like, if I ever felt different or like, if, um, like, people treated me, ever treated me differently because of my skin and um or just the way that I look and like I told her yeah and like gave her examples and she was like that's so weird because I've never seen your color you've always just been my beautiful exotic granddaughter um <laughs> so she like using that term I was like "Ooh, please never call me exotic ever again <laughs> but um and that's not the worst case scenario, but it's still really hard, like, to know that my grandma kind of unintentionally ignored that factor of my life, that, like, there is something that does make me different and makes me get treated differently. Like, if I was out with my mom and, like, I had a friend who was small, white, and blonde, like my mom, and people would always assume that I was just a friend and would treat me as such. <laughs> so like, and that's also just like a really tiny comparison, but it's something that stuck with me, like the way that I wasn't treated as part of that family by other people generally, um, or like going out to dinner. And like, I didn't get to grow up with my family from Hawaii because like they live far away, it's expensive. My dad wasn't as close to his siblings. So I grew up primarily around my white family. And so like the only people that I felt really connected to or like similar to were my brothers because we had a similar experience. We looked the same, um, but even that we experienced life differently. But um, I think another question I wanted to ask you guys, cause turns out we all have white mothers. <laughs> what um do you guys think that played a significant role in like how you were brought up having a white mother versus having like a not white mother or a white father in the mix yes <laughs> simply um but it's more complicated than that I think that having a white mother definitely shaped part of who I am, especially because a lot of the things as I identify as a cisgender heterosexual female, um, a lot of my cis hetero things and a lot of the cis hetero things in society are 
come from the mall. Like you learn about <laughs> those aspects of your identity, femininity, and all those things from the mother traditionally. Um, and so because I was learning about what it means to be feminine, what it means to be a woman from my white mom, I think that there are maybe some things I would have missed if say I had a black mom instead, um, because my mom was the one teaching me about beauty and doing my hair and letting me borrow her makeup. And we're not the same color, not even close. So like I could really only borrow her lipstick. And even then like the shades didn't, they weren't, they weren't cute. Um, so <laughs> I think there are some things that maybe some nuance that I might have missed out on. Um, and I've thought about it before, what it would be like if I had a black mom and a white dad, um, because I have seen that pairing, I think more as I've gotten older. Um, but I don't know, that's a really good question. I need to think more about it. Um, I'm sure there are things that I don't even realize are a product of my having a white mother, um, things that have gone unsaid, but off the top of my head, it's really, I think about it in terms of um, how I was raised to be a woman um, by a woman and inherently her dy the dynamic of her being white and myself being mixed are, are there and they exist there. But yeah, what about you, Anissa? I'm curious. Yeah, there was a definite uh, just being raised by a white mom and to know, I love her and everything, but there was a lot of things that, that she did without her knowledge or without, like, considering other factors that were maybe at play that affected my understanding. And also a lot of, a lot of the issues that I have is with, and this is just societal beauty norms, I have so much, I've grown to love myself. I think I'm beautiful now. But growing up, I thought I was just the ugliest, just grossest looking person. And that affected me on a, like, understanding of, uh, one, because I'm also pansexual. I didn't come out until I was 22 years old. But uh, that was also playing into it. But just the fact that this is what someone thinks you should look like. This is what uh, specifically a man would find attractive. And I wasn't any of those things. And especially being compared to, I've always, me and my sister have talked about this a lot, how much we thought our mom was beautiful and like how we wanted to look like her. And so I would see the features or people would point out like, oh my gosh, her hair is so curly. Oh my gosh, this, that, and the other. Uh, she's so tan. She should wear these colors. <laughs> like it was always, someone was always telling me that I should wear this color for my skin tone, but it was usually a white person. And it that and that was usually left me very confused. So I would do a lot of things and I would act a certain way to appease a load of people. I lost my train of thought, so I'm gonna work back. But um oh yeah, going back to my sexuality, I would just be thankful because of how negatively I thought of myself if any man gave me attention. And so I would do things that were risky and that were dangerous for me to do because I'm like well I'm ugly so any attention is valid attention and I'll just I'll take it as is and so I every day I, I would wake up I would blow dry my hair I would straighten it 
like try to get as pin straight as possible to the point where I was just damaging my head and like just I was going out trying to look as white as possible and praying at night that I looked like my mom that I was white and maybe then more people would like me and uh that was a whole thing that I had to unlearn and when I was in college and then finally going back to like hey maybe you don't just like men maybe there's other people in these factors but I had to do so much work before that to get to the point where I'm valid and that I deserve to be loved and a lot of that centers around the beauty standards that were pushed by my family and me just idolizing my mom's characteristics and hating my own and there's a whole lot of other stuff I could add to it but I'm like in a weird space of <laughs> trying to navigate the question but yeah, that is that is just one of the ways that having a white mom did affect how I saw myself and those sort of things. And I want to hear about your experiences too, but I wanted to quickly add something before I forget um, related to the discussion of hair, because my, I would, I think an outsider looking into my life would assume that because I have a white mother, my white mother, like, didn't know what to do with my hair. Like I said earlier, strangers would come up to her and tell her, like, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. And it's so interesting, because I'm standing right there, and I'm like, you're telling me that my hair is bad, like, it's wrong, like, what's going on? Um, but my mom was actually the one who did so much, re like, so much research into how to care for my hair and my sister's hair. My sister and I, um, I'll see if I can find a picture later. We look so much alike. Um, not, I mean, we have like differences in our faces, but in terms of coloring and hair, like we're we're pretty similar. The pictures of us as a kid, like you look at us and you're like, yeah, they're, they're, they're sisters. Um, but my mom did so much research into how to care for our hair. And I'm so appreciative of that um, because I know that that's a luxury that not everybody has. And um she, I remember her, like my grandma and my aunties would come visit and my mom would ask them how they do their hair and like truly just crowdsourcing for how to do our hair. And it's funny because I and my sister were the ones who, I think it goes back to what you're talking about of when we realized that we were different racially and ethnically. My sister and I were the ones who said, no, 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 we want to straighten our hair. And this is why I wanted to add this because it was related and this is what you were talking about. Like, my sister and I, from a young age, knew that straight hair was the standard, was the beauty standard, in America at least, right? And I first, like, got a blowout or relaxer at the salon when I was probably six. Like, I was very young, and I pushed for it. I told my mom, like, I really want to have straight hair. I really want this type of hair. And I, you know, grew up having American Girl dolls, and most of the people in my community in North Carolina as a kid were white. Like, none of them were people of color. I had one Black neighbor in, like, the next neighborhood, um, and she would do my hair. <laughs> but it was my sister and I that were pushing back against my mom, and my mom has always been someone who had a deep appreciation for our differences and curls, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. Even to this day, my sister, um, who maybe I'll send this episode to her, she um, is amazing. And um, she 
did like a big chop of her hair early on in high school to cut off all the relaxed ends and it looked amazing she had the cutest little afro i was obsessed with it she let it grow out and then later in high school she started relaxing it again and i remember telling her like kim we know how damaging relaxers are to our hair like you're gonna have to cut it off at some point because it's gonna be so unhealthy and dead and she said yes i know but I, it's just I, it's it's easier it's easier and that was my excuse too in high school like oh it's easier my curls are looser it's easier to do and that's true to an extent um but most recently i mean over spring break both my sister and i were in need of haircuts so we found uh, a salon in austin texas called i think curly hair austin they're amazing shout out to them this is not sponsored <laughs> but we went to them and i just i did a traditional cut I needed a cut I cut like four inches off but my sister because her hair was so damaged was like I want to cut all of my hair off and I just I want the shortest of short hair like just little baby curls and I was fully in support of it I'm like yes it's gonna look so good like I love this for you um and and she's recently realized some stuff about her identities that I think this type of hairstyle she, I think for her it's represents an alignment with some of her identities that she's growing into. And I'm really excited about that. But my mom was like panicked and my, I don't know if my mom would love me sharing this, but she, even yesterday we were having a conversation. She's saying, you know, I think I was worried about Cam cutting all of her hair off because hair is such a big part of the mixed identity, specifically my sister and I's because stylists have always told us like you have the best and the worst of both worlds like my dad's <laughs> 4c kinky curly hair texture and my mom has very very thick wavy hair very thick and so my sister and i's hair is very curly and very thick and very hard to manage and so my mom has put so much effort in over the years into managing our hair that when my sister cut her hair off, I think my mom was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is a huge change. And I was trying to get at why it might feel weird for my mom, um, like where that might be coming from. And I think it is because she, she's appreciated our hair for so long. Um, and, and now she, she loves it. She celebrates my sister, but I just think that dynamic is interesting because I have other friends who have white mothers and black dads and their mom's completely checked out when it came to their hair and their femininity and how they portrayed themselves and what their gender expression was. Um, and they just kind of like backed off, hands off when it came to that. And so I find it very interesting. I feel very privileged to have had a white mother who advocated for me and um, tried to seek natural hair salons and black hair salons for my sister and I, um, because I, I think that's pretty unique in um, at least within the conversations I've had with my friends. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to share a bit about that because hair is so interesting and I think it's a really big part of um, being mixed. And that's kind of like one of the biggest markers of difference is people see your hair and they're like, hmm, you're different. That's different. Like it's a huge, if I'm standing next to my mom, my hair is one of the first things that people are going to see other than my skin color. So yeah, but like I said, Hannah, I really want to hear about your experiences. Yeah, no, I'm really glad you shared that because um, I'll get to my experience, but I have um, two little cousins who are also mixed and their mother's white and then their dad is black. He's from Trinidad, I believe. Um, That's where my parents are from, where my dad. Oh, cool. 
But yeah, so I've always really admired how um, their parents made it a point to like go to classes, like to beauty school classes and to take the girls, not only so they could learn how to like do their hair and how to take care of it, but also so the girls could grow up and learn how to do it too. Um, and I always saw that just, and they, it's not something that they say is like, oh, like they don't give themselves a pat on the back. My like aunt, she's not, she doesn't brag about, oh, this is how I take care of my mixed children. It's just a part of their normal routine. It's just something that they do. Um, and I've always really liked that. Um, in my experience, I, I try to think, cause like, Outside of just growing up, like there was so many things going on and it was really chaotic. So like thinking about specific, like how my mom took care of me, a lot of it kind of blends in with, we were always just kind of in survival mode, just like getting through the, through the days. Um, but I don't think she ever made me feel different from her in a bad way. Um, Cause I think I grew up like with a pretty relative like strong self-esteem in that sense, but also because of my siblings. Like I have three older brothers and I am their child. So they definitely like took care of me in that sense. And I think with my mom, she did the best she could because my father wasn't very helpful in like instilling our culture and things like that, except for saying stuff like, Oh, like to me saying stuff like your hair is so thin, like your mother's, your aunties all had the, the like thick, long, dark hair. Um, and so I think because of that, my beauty standards, like I wanted to look like that. I wanted to look like my aunties, that whole like exotic term feels dirty, but it also felt like, oh, that's beautiful. Um, but I also really just grew up around my mother's family, who is all white. Um, and we kind of just, we grew up in her hometown. A lot of things that we did were with her friends, which they weren't all white, but like majority was white because that's like her life. Um, and so the girls that I had around me that I would look up to were primarily white. I, but I do think she did try to have like babysitters who looked more like me um and I always like like I loved that <laughs> but I just loved you but I wasn't aware of that like I just loved being around people I didn't generally see like oh she looks like me yay because I also realized that there's not a lot of people who look like me um but I guess yeah I think I do think life would have been different if I grew up with a mother who was Native Hawaiian, because I think if, like, it was still the person who was my mother, but she happens to be Native Hawaiian instead of white, she put in a lot of effort of being around her family and, like, bringing the people close to her into our lives. So I just think if she had been a different ethnicity, it would have been the same experience, but with a different ethnicity. I think it's a very personal who my mother is rather than her race specifically. Um, 
But yeah, um, I was gonna ask another question. Unless you guys have a question for the group. <laughs> I don't have a question, um, but I was able to find some pictures that I love to show. Um, I don't know if the audience is seeing the, you know, this part of the recording, if they're just listening to audio, but we have a few photos. <laughs> I think this is my favorite photo. If I had to pick just one of my sister and I, I think this would be it. This, I believe it was at a park near a house in North Carolina and it's gonna be so hard to see, but my sister's oh. on the bottom and I'm on the top and there we are just looking alike. And I mean, our hair texture is the same. We've got similar smiles. Um, we were very close when we were that young. Um, we began to fight as we got older um, and we're closer now as everyone told us that we would be once we grew up. But I'm also gonna try to find a picture of the four of us together because those are iconic. <laughs> but give me a moment. <laughs> You're good. I feel like I don't have any of all of us together either. I'd have to like search. But like, for example, here's me and my sister. This was at her um, bachelorette party. But yeah. In terms of features, I look at that picture and I'm like, they're sisters. Yeah, right? And that was exactly like. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I was like, I never understood when people would be like, oh my God, you look so different. Or I would openly be told that I was the ugly sibling. Like, pe like peers would tell me that. And I'm like, we look just the same. I'm just darker and have curlier hair. But um, yeah, no, I kind of wanted to, while we were going like along this topic, I kind of, I thought of a story about while I was talking about my family and then like making my my appearance such a focal point of like my uh, relationship with them my grandpa on my mom's side he is an incredibly racist man he like i could say a lot about him it, there's just a lot but he specifically went one day to uh also, none of us grew up with money, so anything, like, they did for us, I was very appreciative, but this is the singular moment where I was, like, he loves me for who I am. He went to the drugstore and got me and my sister some generic Barbies, but specifically made sure that he found one that was brown and was, like, this is Anissa's, which is crazy because if you asked, because if you asked him back then, you would, he would be, like, yeah, because it looks like her. I figured she would want to see her. Like, going into, like, uh, a future topic of representation, he actively was like, yeah, that makes sense. But if you'd ask him now, he'd have such a, like, Fox News approach. It was like, that's so unnecessary. That's like, why do people need to feel it? I was like, you understood that I needed that when I was a kid. But you, he can't apply it to other people. Like, it was just like, oh, I just want Anissa to feel good. Because he does love me. But there's just a lot of other things that he doesn't like about me. But yeah, just I feel like I needed to throw that in there because it's not all terrible all the time with my family. I love them to death. But there's just a lot of like gray that I live in where like I know they love me, but there was also a lot of hatred and stuff passed down that intergenerational trauma that still exists. I had a very similar experience with like, oh gosh, what is it about? the white mother's parents <laughs> and like I love them I have a very good relationship with my mom's dad um her grandfather 
my grandfather, sorry, her father. Um, we played the wordle every day in a little group text with his wife and my soon-to-be wife. They just got engaged in their 70s. So cute. And uh, my mom, and we send each other the wordle every day, like, love him. Um, and he's grown a lot in terms of his social ideologies over the years. Um, my grandma, however, <laughs> not so much. Um, she's definitely not going to listen to this, so I feel comfortable talking about her, but she's what my family likes to call racist adjacent. Um, she is not overtly racist, I'm trying to be careful with my language, but she's subtly racist often. Um, anytime my mom is telling my mom has to set boundaries because my grandma has a lot of issues that I'm not going to get into right now, but they have a weekly Sunday call. That's it. No, there's no other communication other than that Sunday call. And during the Sunday calls, they're long because it's only once a week. And my mom will just fill her in on the happenings of our lives. And anytime there's any sort of bad thing, or I mean, like bad is so relative, like a small inconvenience that my mother mentions, immediately my dad is blamed. Every time. And I grew up knowing that my grandma <laughs> didn't love my dad and knowing that she harbored all kinds of racist beliefs. And that was very hard for me, similar to what you were describing in this is like, I know she loves me, but I don't think she loves what I look like. She loves me as a human, but what I look like is part of who I am, a big part of who I am. So grappling with that juxtaposition was always very difficult for me. Um, there's something about the family, <laughs> the white side of the family, and that I feel lucky to have grown up primarily surrounded by my dad's side of the family, simply because my mom has one brother and he doesn't have any kids. And She's got two parents, they were divorced. So her family's pretty fractured and pretty small. Um, but my dad's family, on the other hand, is very big, um, kind of spread out across the country, but we would get together at least once a year and if not two, three, four, five times a year and be with one another. So that's the side I grew up more around. So I grew up, and I know we're gonna talk about representation um, in maybe another episode, but I grew up seeing people that looked like me and my family and our, what we looked like was celebrated. Um, being from a family that's from the Caribbean, my dad's parents are from Trinidad and um, my ancestors historically lived in Barbados where um, Caribbean slavery was a thing. Um, but 23andMe is so cool that we can find out all of this. Like my dad over COVID, this is a bit of a tangent. He did 23andMe because he was curious about where our ancestors were from and um, was able to trace our lineage in the Caribbean back to a single person <laughs> whose name was Kitty um, in the slave records. And she was stolen from Nigeria in 1806 or something like that and brought to Barbados. So my family for a good 200 years has been in the Caribbean. Um, and Caribbean identity is so fun. I love it so much. And a lot of my family members have 
same kind of curls that I do, the same kind of curves that I do. And so I was very lucky to grow up having those things celebrated. I'll never forget one of my aunties was over at my house and she was fitting my sister for a dress for I think my grandma's birthday party or something. And she's like, oh, she's so thick. Like she's so thick. And my sister was like, is that a bad thing? Like she's calling me thick. Like society tells me that's bad. But my aunt was like genuinely so excited that my prepubescent sister was curvy <laughs> and it was celebrated. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I'm going to cut the tangent off, show one more picture and then shut up. <laughs> this is, oh, I got to take the blur off again. Side note, the blur filter is not POC friendly because what is it, what is it doing to my, <laughs> like the difference? Look at that. What happened to my curls? There they are, gone. <laughs> it's so funny. But anyway, I digress. Here's, um, oh, why is there like a rainbow tint? There's my sister on the end, my mom, me in the middle, kind of dark, and then my dad on the end. And this is like the worst way to show this photo, but so cute. There we are at the beach. Um, hair, my, my dad's way of describing my sister just wear our hair out and down is free and easy so we always just call it the free and easy um and so yeah I feel very privileged like I said to have grown up with my features being celebrated by my family that was definitely not always the case when I'm in public when I'm in school um but I, a lot of who I am is rooted in family. And so I, I feel very privileged and very lucky to have had a positive experience for the most part with regard to my identity within my immediate family. Um, yeah, that's that was like very long-winded. So we're going to be quiet. Yeah, no, I first of all have also have pictures. Hold on. <laughs> uh, so like the first, excuse my messy room, but like, so this is me and my parents. And it's like at a birthday thing, I think. So like definitely have my dad's complexion most months out of the year, but I do structurally look a lot more like my mom, like um, my facial features. I'm really tall, which is like, comes from her side of the family. I did develop a lot earlier because I'm Polynesian also. So like, all that kind of stuff, but also here's my brothers and me. So one brother, this one, he ended up like literally being allergic to the sun, having super blonde hair, but he has the facial features of like my father. So if you if you have the eye for it, like you know he's mixed, but he does appear more white. But I was also gonna say, um, I had a similar doll situation when I was little so like because I had older brothers like there weren't dolls being passed down in the family but I would so I would like wrap up my Woody doll that I stole from my brother and like carry that as a baby and my mom's friend was just so heartbroken that I didn't have a baby doll and she wanted to be sensitive um and she bought me a black baby doll um which you know was like aiming for it Maybe there wasn't like just a brown baby doll, <laughs> but I loved that baby doll. It was my first and I took care of it. I was its mother, but I always thought it was so funny that she was just trying to be so racially sensitive that she just like got me a black baby. <laughs> um, and it's funny because like the intentions were so 
good, I think. But I don't know, when people try too hard to be racially sensitive around me, it's just kind of like, like, just treat me like a person. I don't know, like whenever I'm in class or something, either a professor won't try to pronounce my name or they'll overcorrect, get my last name and then try to change my first name. So instead of Hannah, it's like Hannah to like, but it's not spelled that way at all. <laughs> so I don't know. I I actually still have that baby doll. <laughs> I found it when I was moving over the summer. So it's like I, overall a good memory, but it was also just so funny to me. <laughs> Why can't professors just first day of class, you go around the classroom and everyone says their name and the professor repeats it back to you. What a wonderful way that would be to learn each other's names. For example, we go around first day of class. I say, my name is Grace Evans. The professor repeats it back. And then we just go around the classroom because then the professor hears how you pronounce your name. Why are professors trying to pronounce ethnic names? Just like, I <laughs> obviously they're well-intentioned, but there's a, I, I'm not gonna sit here and be like, oh, I know how to pronounce every single ethnic name in the history of ever. That's not a thing, no. No. <laughs> so why why do we expect professors to be able to pronounce ethnic sounding names? Maybe I don't know. I think that should change. It's just so it's it's so funny to me. Every first day of class, I just I look forward to professors messing up because it's funny and like I I really appreciate the professors that can make it a learning experience for the class and be like I don't know how to pronounce this name and like I'm gonna really do my darndest to be able to. Um, but man, <laughs> we need to reform that. <laughs> I agree. And you know, just going off of the, like the name thing and people changing the name specifically, because they'll read my name on a piece of paper and they'll look at it and it looks, it looks like it should, how it should sound. It, so they'll say Anissa Crow and then they'll look and they'll go, oh, Anissa. And I'm like, that's not even, that's not even like a common, like, uh, Latine name. That's not, that's not anything. In fact, my name is my mom and her best friend at the time. Their names mashed together. It's Anna and Melissa. And that's how she came up with Anissa. And so, but it's always that like little thing where someone will look like they'll look at my appearance and then go, oh, Anissa. And then because I'm so used to being called Anissa, I don't even catch it anymore. And then I feel bad because other people are like, they're pronouncing your name wrong. And I was like, I know subconsciously, but I just am so used to it that I don't correct. And I need to get better about correcting, but often I won't even hear it the first time and I'll just go along. So then I can't, like five weeks later, like I have a professor now who the entire quarter called me Anissa. I corrected her the first time. She still called me Anissa. And then I got into class that day and I was so nervous for her to have, like, call us out. <laughs> and I go, all right. So she's like, all right, everybody in a row. So luckily she did that thing where, like, you popcorn and everyone says their name for themselves. And I go, I'm Anissa. And then I look at her face and her eyes got so wide. <laughs> she was like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> Like, why do you, I was like, it's, it's too late now, but now she makes it like an extra, extra effort to constantly say Anissa, which is great, but also just that sort of, okay, <laughs> here we are. But yeah, also 
while we're talking about names and stuff, I wanted to show a picture of me and my mom when I was little. I think I was about a year old here. But yeah, that's my hey, mom. Can we talk about your mom's hair? Because, oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> my mom is, so, see, that's the thing. My mom didn't have straight hair. She had wavy hair. Mm. But mine was curly. Same And so it's just like that that difference. They just noticed that my curls were just a little tiny bit tighter. I wish I had more pictures of my hair when I was little because it my and my mom loved my hair, speaking of. She but it was other people from our family or other people I interacted with who told me that it was ugly. My mom cried the day uh in third grade. I cut off all of my hair because I was obsessed with like Tinkerbell and stuff. And so I she dropped me off at the salon by myself. I was in third grade. And I point to a picture and I go, I want a pixie cut. <laughs> my mom came to pick me up an hour later, sobbing and trying to pick up my curly hair. And I was just like, mom, I'm going to donate it. I'm going to donate it. And she, but she was just sitting there crying. She's like, your curls, your curls. But she like, yeah, she loved it. She never made me feel a type of way about it. But then after I did that, she constantly was like, uh, your hair is... We got we got to go to an event like if we had to go to like a wedding or something she like okay go turn on the straightener like it was just that automatic like okay here we go so initially it was love and then I cut it all off and then she was mad at me so then <laughs> she kind of like forfeited towards the other way but yeah. literally my mom and my sister right now <laughs> so funny <laughs> yeah I'll jump in and say something <laughs> um I think I mean, there's definitely been good and bad experiences on both sides. I think because I grew up like around my mom's side of the family a lot, the little things just kind of like went over my head for a long time. But in general, like I'd say the vibe was similar to what my grandma said, like they didn't see me for my color, which, you know, is like good. It has its good and it's bad. Um, they never treated me differently for the way that I looked, but I don't think they always understood my experience growing up and like how my appearance affected that. Um, but in general, they were all really nice. I like that's how I would describe my mom's side of the family is nice and not confrontational. Um, so if something made them uncomfortable, it just wasn't really talked about a whole lot. At least I think it is starting to now, but like that was, you just didn't talk about it really, if it was something uncomfortable, but on my dad's side of the family, like it's all out there. It's been, <laughs> which is a culture shock for me. So I've only gotten to visit like twice and I met. I've met members of my father's side of the family, like, sporadically. Like, I met, uh, like, two aunties when I was little at different times. I met my grandparents, like, once. Um, and when I got to go on my own in college, I got to meet, like, my great auntie. I got to re-meet another aunt and some cousins and stuff. And it was really cool. But instead of being, like, the brown one in my white family, I was the white girl. <laughs> on this side, mostly because of the way that I talk. Um, because like my great auntie was so upset with my father for not like bringing me up talking pigeon. And so she tried to give me a crash co course right then and there. 
and like my family members would say like oh you just you keep switching back and forth from talking normal to talking like a white girl and I'm just like I that is my life <laughs> like that I think personally I've always felt kind of like not enough of one or the other and it wasn't until recently where I've started to just look at myself just like as all me like I'm enough of me for me um being not white enough or being not Hawaiian enough like I'm never gonna be one or the other because I'm a I'm a mix of both like I can't be one or the other um and I think that's just I think that was my social anxiety growing up is <laughs> just like not knowing where I belong because it's a very specific experience I think but that's a ramble <laughs> no but I think it's a, a good thing to like because we're like nearing a close a little bit like we got we got a little bit of time but um just like that that feeling of not being enough because you are you're never going to be like you said you're never going to be one or the other you're going to be a mix of what you are and so within the recent years I have really had to with a lot of other things I had to come to my own understanding about myself is that I had to recognize that I I had those feelings of being not enough uh as, especially as a Latina just not knowing Spanish not knowing not growing up in my culture because my it was a very weird dynamic between my family where I grew up with some people from either side but never enough to really learn much there's a lot that I still don't know and that has to do with a whole bunch of other fam family dynamics of one side not liking the other and other in all kinds of issues. But it was just me trying to figure out who I was and then it looking different for my siblings because they didn't look exactly like me. Which from the picture we saw, me and my sister look alike. We're just different colors. <laughs> but um, she never had to have that. That I remember a couple years ago, her telling me, you can't say, <laughs> you can't say you're a woman of color. And I was like, hold on, look at me real fast and tell me I can't say that. <laughs> and, then she, and it was more her pressuring that she didn't feel she could say that because of how she looked. And so it would make her comfortable that I would say, she still won't say that she's a woman of color, but she is also growing from the understanding that, uh, especially taking classes at Fresno State, which is where she is right now. I'm so proud of her. She's amazing. Um, but go taking like uh, Chicanx classes and learning about more of like her Chicana like identity and like like oh this is where the mix part comes in like those things that made us feel like we couldn't say who we were or we weren't enough of any one thing that is just who I am and I think that's beautiful and I think Hannah put it way better than I did <laughs> but I just wanted to share that sentiment uh, in case anybody's listening that you're enough of you. It doesn't matter anything else. You are loved, you are validated, and you are enough. Beautiful. I That made me think of a question that I wanted to ask because I think a lot of the time, at least in my experience, trying to become like Hawaiian enough or something, do you think that sometimes we neglect like claiming our white side? Because I'll, I've been in, a, I was in a conversation with Vernell, shout out Vernell, about like, 
um, I don't even remember what the topic was, but he made a good point of always saying we when talking about like, um, like white people in general and like historical, um, the effects of like historic history. <laughs> Sorry, trying to get my words together. Um, Cause I could say like, oh yeah, my white family don't realize that they do this and this and this, but I should also include myself in that conversation because I've also had the privileges of coming from a white family on one side, or I've like, because of colorism, because of so many different aspects, like I'm still, part of me at least is still part of the white community. And so how do you guys feel about that? Mm, it's something I thought a lot about, especially if, as I've gotten older and become more of a critical thinker. Um, and it's something that, to be honest, has caused tension in my family. And I have very good relationships with each of my parents, but there's still a bit of tension. Um, and throughout the years, every once in a while, my mom will ask, like, or, or tell me, I, I feel like you're not embracing your whiteness and your white identity. Um, and I'll tell you all what my response to her always is. And it's one, it's hard for me to embrace whiteness because I don't, I haven't been treated kindly by whiteness as a woman of color in America. And secondly, race is a social construct as we know, and it's not biological, it's sociological. And so, because I don't, think there's anybody in this world who would look at me and not see me as a woman of color. Um, there are people who would look at me, especially other mixed people who are attuned to um, <laughs> finer details, would look at me and say, oh, she's mixed. Maybe she's got one white parent, one black parent. But most of the time people just assume that I'm black. People assume that I'm, I'm light-skinned and um, people don't assume that I would identify as a white woman because I think that would be preposterous <laughs> and so it's caused tension in my family because I I think my mom would prefer she wouldn't she wants me to identify in the way that I want to identify which is biracial black um but she I think sometimes feels like I'm being overly critical of whiteness which I can see why that would upset her because she is a white woman. Um, and I don't think that what she realizes is like, I'm being overly critical about that side of myself too. I'm not saying like, oh, I'm better than because I have, I'm half black. Like I'm, I'm not saying that I'm better than you because of that. I'm just saying that I'm, I'm being critical of myself as well here, you know, acknowledging that part of me. But related to this, I wanted to just read a quote quickly um, about this, about like race and kind of how it's, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> um, but this is literally just something found on Goodreads. And it's, let's see, it's by a wonderful author, um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie in the book Americana. And I'm just going to read a tiny bit of it. But I think the chapter title maybe was, is Obama anything but black? And then under, underneath there is so lots of folk, mostly non-Black, say Obama's not Black, he's biracial, multiracial, Black and white, anything but just Black, because his mother was white. 
the race is not biology, race is sociology, race is not genotype, race is phenotype. Race matters because of racism, and racism is absurd because it's about how you look, not about the blood that you have. It's about the shade of your skin and the shape of your nose and the kink of your hair. Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass had white fathers. Imagine them saying they were not black. I love that last part because truly, imagine if Booker T. or Frederick Douglass were like, I'm white. The world would freak out <laughs> because that's not how we view those. That's not how the world views. And I'm talking specifically from my own experience um, because I know that other aspects and other biracial people have different experiences. But I'm talking here specifically about the biracial black experience. No one in the world is going to look at someone who's biracial black and say, oh yeah, you're white. Like that's because blackness is so pervasive and the myth of racial differences being genetic is so pervasive in America, you're not going to have anyone um, making such an assumption about me or about anyone that looks like me. So that's shaped a lot of what I've been willing to embrace. And I, I think a lot of it's related to the the context, the sociopolitical context in America. Um, perhaps if I was in a different country that maybe a country where whiteness wasn't as harmful. Um, but I want to be careful with that because whiteness has been harmful around the globe. Um, so I, it might be difficult to find a country where whiteness hasn't been harmful or as harmful as it has been in America. But perhaps in a country like that, I may be more willing to embrace um, my whiteness. It's not something I'm ashamed of at all. And I've 100,000% benefited from colorism and my lighter skin tone um, than many of my family members. But it's difficult for me to embrace whiteness given how much I critique what whiteness means as a social construct. I don't critique white people. I critique whiteness as a social construct and everything that it has created. Um, again, another long-winded rant, but I really appreciate that question, Hannah, because it's it's very complex and it's important to talk about. Yeah, I loved your answer. I also wanted to, I guess, clarify what I meant by embracing the white side, but more just like claiming rather than saying, I am just a woman of color because that's not entirely true, at least in my experience for me. Like, I could never just say, oh, I'm Native Hawaiian. Like, I also, like, that's not even where I was going with that. But, like, in the conversations I would have with my family, sometimes, like, my, if I was defending something in regards to being Native Hawaiian, I, a retort that I would get was like, oh, you're white too. And I'd have to be like, I know that. Yes, I know that. Um, and when I'm talking about like the effects of the white community, I'm including myself in that too, to the extent that like I've benefited. But I'd also never go around saying like, oh, I'm white because I'm not. <laughs> like you said, it's just such a complex issue. And around different people, my identity changes because some people would classify me as a white woman or some people would classify me as a woman of color, depending on, usually depending on their own identity um, and their experiences around other people. I think I'm always still trying to figure out what to say in those situations, just like I'm mixed. Like that's what I say now. I'm like, yes, I am 
and I'm mixed. Like I am both of these things at the same time, which makes the conversation much more fun. <laughs> I was gonna say, Hannah, to your point that I also now more more often than not will say I'm mixed. I will also say that I'm a woman of color, but it's also just like my because of the experience that I had with my family and like those sort of things, I was like, that was what differentiated me from them. But yeah, taking in the, because also I grew up around a large Portuguese community in Tulare, California. Uh, like I would routinely every October go to the Festa, go to like Portuguese events and like try to be as involved as I can, but they didn't want me there because of how I looked. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I proudly would often tell people I'm Portuguese and I'm Mexican. Like I would often just uh, point that out and make that assertion because I, it it felt like I needed to be said because when I would go to Portuguese events, it'd be like, they would often, uh, I remember one account with one girl, her being like, I hate when all the Mexican girls try to join this class and try to take our language. And I'm all, one, we're in a public high school where it doesn't matter. I'm just trying to learn language. And two, she said it directly to me. And I remember getting so mad and being like, I, and I didn't want to say I'm not just Mexican, but I also wanted to be like, so what if I am? Like, it got me in a very, like, aggressive sort of mood, which is a tangent, I'm sorry, but also just, like, that sort of, like, taking in both, uh, both of those parts of me in, like, my family and, like, I do try to just be like, I'm multiracial or I'm mixed because that's just the easiest way to explain. And then if they ask, what are you mixed with? Then I go in and elaborate in that sort of way. Well, I hate to cut us off, but we are closing in on time. And I just want to thank uh, both of the guests here, Hannah and Grace. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for being a part of this. I also want to note this will not be the last time that we talk about this topic. In fact, we'll delve even deeper in another episode. So be on the lookout for that. And also maybe be on the lookout for maybe a form so you can be involved or share your story or even just be on the podcast. Come join us. We want more voices. Uh, this has been... Uh, another episode of Word on the Street. Thank you all for joining and thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.